We are continuing our study in the parables of Jesus Christ. Um, The idea of a parable is a story uh, that Jesus tells that has an eternal uh, dimension or an eternal truth that Jesus is sharing with us. Um, We've talked about the kingdom parables. We've talked about the parable of the lost thing. Then we kind of get through, we're kind of in this section now where it's just uh, hit or miss parables that basically have these uh, incredible uh, foundational spiritual truths. And so we talked about the parable of the vineyards, talked about the grace of God. We talked about the parable of the house and the rock and the sand, talking about the idea of foundation. Uh, we've la- we talked about the idea of salt and light, the, the idea that we are able to have an influence on the world. And then last week, uh, we talked about the principle of the two debtors, uh, the woman who basically wipes the feet of Jesus with her hair and uh, uses an ointment at a great cost to her. And we talked about the idea of just the awareness of sin, the awareness of how much God has done for it. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to talk about a parable that talks about the impact that we have on other people. Uh, it is probably the most common parable in the, in the life of Jesus Christ. It is also probably a parable that is more abused and misinterpreted than any other parable we will look at. And so we're going to start the story in Luke chapter 10. And before we get there, let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, In Luke chapter 10, there is a lawyer, which when we talk about a lawyer, we're not talking about a lawyer like we know a lawyer. We're talking about a lawyer in, in in the Jewish world, which was someone who was interpreting the Scripture. Uh, and deciding what goes where and, and, and what, what the Bible uh, means. And so he comes to Jesus asking about eternal life. And so Jesus kind of spins the, the, the story on him and asks uh, basically the idea of what's, what's the be- best commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And the, the lawyer, again, knowing the Scriptures, takes the passage from Deuteronomy to Shema and says, you love the Lord your God with your heart, and you also love your neighbor as yourself. He kind of throws these two ideas out. And then the lawyer asks Jesus a question, and that's where we're going to pick up our story. So Luke chapter 10, and here's what it says, but he wanted to justify himself, talking about the lawyer. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And we'll get into all of this in a minute. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, they went, and they left him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan. As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, that would have been two days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law required the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So 
let's talk about the background of this because it's really important that you understand the context of this story and you understand a lot about the culture at the time. So let's talk first of all about the idea of a lawyer. Um, this was a person who would have understood the teachings of uh, the Mosaic Law in specific. He would have been able to interpret and, and, and define exactly what the law was saying and when it should apply. And in their world, again, he's a Jew. So in their world, the Jewish people had an interesting concept of neighbor. In the Jewish world, a neighbor was a fellow Jew, period. Anyone outside of that was not considered a neighbor. Gentiles weren't, Samaritans weren't. In fact, in some sects of Judaism, um, when you get into the, the group of the Essenes, for instance, it wasn't even they had to be a Jew, it had to be they had to be an Essene Jew. I mean, they were super specific about who my neighbor was. And that the text says he was willing to he was wanting to justify himself. That's why he asked Jesus the question, who's my neighbor? So Jesus understanding this context tells this story. And he talks about the idea of a, a, a man, and we don't know anything about the traveler at all. But he was, we do know this. He was traveling from Jerusalem. The people who ran into him were traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, here's what you need to understand. When you look at it, this is the route. It's about 17 to 20 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you look at it, Jerusalem's up high, about 2,500 feet. Jericho's 800 feet below sea level. So this is basically a downhill walk. To give you an idea, this is a, a, an idea of what this road looks like. Here it is in a more modern-day equivalent. As you can see, that's a, it's not exactly a highway. Um, it's, a, it's, like, it's like most of our gravel roads that we travel all day long. No, uh, you know, for, fortunately, our county does a lot better job taking care of than that. But... Um, I mean, so you understand that this is a... So first of all, let's talk about this guy traveling this road. We don't know anything about him. Uh, we don't know whether he's a Jew or a Gentile. We don't know anything. All we know is that he's a man, and he had traveled by himself, apparently. Now, first of all, that in and of itself was dangerous. Most people who took this road always traveled with companions or traveled during the day or whatever else, and we don't know when he traveled. What's interesting is, in this culture, the way that you knew somebody's um, background, the way, for instance, you knew a Jew from a Gentile, one of the ways was dress, and another way was language. In this particular story, because he is robbed and stripped and half dead, apparently he can't speak, and we don't know what kind of clothes he was wearing, so we don't know anything about him. All we know is that he's on the side of the road and he's half dead. That's all we know. That's all we know about him. Uh, we don't know anything else in this story. And that's important. That's important because that's Jesus is laying the foundation for this whole story thing to make sure that everybody understands it. So we've got a guy laying there. He is... Half dead. We don't know if he's Jew or Gentile or any, we don't know anything about his nationality or whatever else. And we're told that it just so happens that a priest is on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, here's what we know about priests at this time. 
Um, there were about 1,200 priests that would serve at the temple in Jerusalem, and they would take rotating shifts. So it was a big deal. I mean, if you were a priest and you got to go and you got to serve at the temple, it was like a two-week deal, uh, you got to serve for two weeks at the temple, that's a big deal. We don't know why this priest was at the temple. Uh, we don't know if it was part of his rotation. Uh, we don't know if he had just made a journey there to worship or sacrifice or what else. But here's what we do know. He was coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, that's an important part of the story. Because some people will say the reason he didn't help the man is because he would have been defiled. That would make sense if he was going from Jericho to Jerusalem. Because he would have had to go through a great big purification process. But that's not what the story says. The story says he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's already done his worship thing. Our modern-day equivalent would be you're coming home from church. He's already done his worship thing. He's on his way back from having worshiped God or served God or been with God or whatever else. And as he's walking and he sees this person half dead, the Bible is very explicit. He gets as far away as he can and walks by him. Doesn't want to get anything near that. And he walks and he keeps on going. Then the text says, a Levite came along. Now, in that world, what would happen is you had the priests, and then you would have the Levites, and then usually you would have like the Pharisees. There was a whole kind of religious hierarchy, if you will. Below priest was a Levite. And for whatever reason, when the Levite sees this, we don't know if the Levite thought, well, if the priest didn't help, we don't even know if he knew the priest was in front of him. Or we don't know if he was right behind him. If the priest didn't help, maybe I don't have to help. But for whatever reason, when the Levite sees this, he gets as far away as he can, and he walks by. And then Jesus introduces the Samaritan. Now, you need to understand that when Jesus gets to this point of the story, I don't know who's listening to this story. I don't know if there's another group or if it's just the, fair, if it's just the teacher of the law. But when Jesus uses the word Samaritan, if there's a group, there would have been a gasp. Because you need to understand that the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. I mean, hated at a level that they did not even consider them human. They wanted nothing to do. Luke chapter 9, the Samaritans had harassed Jesus and the disciples. And so Jesus says, a Samaritan walks by. But the Samaritan's actions are much, much different. The fact that it's a Samaritan, first of all, would have shocked them. In fact, I'll show you how bad it is when we get a little bit farther in the story. When he sees him, the Samaritan, he's got a donkey. Now, we don't know if he's riding the donkey or if he's walking with the donkey, but he's got a donkey with it. He comes over to the man, and he kneels down beside him, and he starts fixing all of the wounds. He takes the oil that he has, and he takes the wine, which is basically antiseptic of the day, because that's what they had, and he starts taking care of all of his wounds. When he gets him all bandaged up enough, so I want you to understand this. Now, this is messy. 
Okay? This is messy work. When he gets him all bandaged up, he scoops him up, and he puts him on his donkey. And he then continues his journey. And he gets down to Jericho. He goes to an inn, and he finds somebody, and he says, listen, I found this guy on the road. Um, I've, got, I've got business I've got to go take care of. Um, I don't have time to stay with him for a long period of time, so here's what I'll do. I'll give you two denarii, two days' wages. If you will just make sure he's got a place to eat, he's got something to eat, got a place to rest. And then I'm going to come back, and if you've had to spend any more money than that, I'll, I'll make it right with you. So in other words, he's got enough of a relationship for this guy to be able to trust him. And he says, if you'll take care of him, then when I come back, I'll make it all right with you. And he does that, and he goes on his way. Now, Jesus tells this story, and then Jesus looks at the Pharisee, the, 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 the lawyer, and he asks this question. Who was a neighbor to this man? The lawyer hates Samaritans so much, he can't even utter the word. And he says, the one who showed mercy. He can't say the Samaritan. There's that much animosity to them. He has to look at him and go, um, um, the, uh, it's kind of like, remember Fonzie? I'm sorry. Remember that? Kids, look it up on YouTube. Um, um, <laughs> Uh, but, I mean, you know, he can't even say the word, Samaritan. And he goes, the one that had mercy. Because in his mind, to suggest that the priest and the Levite were not loving did not fit with his theology. And to suggest that a Samaritan loved when a priest and Levite didn't, he just couldn't go there. Well, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Um, the, the story is full of all kinds of, of lessons and, and implications and, and, and things for us. And like I say, people abuse this parable. They make it about so many crazy things out there. Um, and, and it just, it, it doesn't, you know, it just, it gets abused a lot. Okay. So, so let me talk about a couple of things that I think will help us in what Jesus was saying. Because I think there's some principles here for us that, that help us get a good foundation for what we do as we try to help people and, and, and what our role is and all those kinds of things. So here, here's the first principle. The first principle is this. Love is defined by the subject, not the object. Okay, so let me help you understand what I'm saying. We tend to look at, should this person be loved, the object? That's not the basis for love. Love starts with the subject. The priest didn't love. The Levite didn't love. The Samaritan, all three of them saw the same thing. They saw the same object. They saw the same need. They saw the same situation. But it was the Samaritan who genuinely loved. Because love is determined by the subject, not the object. Now listen, this is a very important spiritual truth for you to grasp. Okay? So let me, let me flesh it out in the big picture thing. 
Why do we love God? John, because he first loved us, right? Love starts with the subject. God loved us, and we love him. That's the point. The point is that it's important for me to understand love is not based on the object. Love is based on the subject. It is based with me. That's why God says, in fact, in the book of 1 John, it goes so far as to say this. If you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you need to check out whether or not you really love God. Because in the Bible, love for God and love for other people are intricately connected. Why? Because love is based on the subject, not the object. Let me get even farther. You don't know what that person did to me. I can't love them. Because you're basing love on the object. Love starts with you. Love is your responsibility. For you to love, it starts with you loving them, not with whether or not they're deserving of love. If you want the big, big, big picture, did you deserve the love God showed you? No. But God still loved you, right? Because love starts with the subject, not the object. So in this story, one of the things that we see here is the Samaritan walking by because he decides to love, reaches out in love towards that person who was there. And that's important for us to understand because often we get in a situation where we're like, you don't know what they did to me. I can't forgive, I can't forgive them. I can't let that go. What they did was so horrible. Blah, 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 blah. Stop. Love is based, starts with you. And ultimately, it starts with your relationship to God. That's why over and over and over again in Scriptures, Love for God and love for other people are connected. And if you're sitting there saying, well, I can't, I just can't love them. I understand it's a process, but I also understand this, that when you work out your love for the Lord, you start to understand that with God's help, you can love people who are unlovable. I call them porcupine people. You know what a porcupine person is? Okay. If I were to bring a porcupine up here and say, I want you to hug it, you would go, mm, don't think so. It's a porcupine. If I hug it, I'm going to get poked. Okay. But what if you really need to hug a porcupine? See, I could hug a porcupine if I had to. You know why? Because... In our hot glass shop, we have these Kevlar gloves that go up to here. They handle heat at about 2,800 degrees before they start to vent, and they're insulated and everything else. And they got level, they got layers of Kevlar on them. I could easily go up and hug that porcupine. You know why? Because I'm ready to hug a porcupine with my Kevlar gloves. And there may be people in your life that God, that you know as a Christian you need to hug and you need to love and you need to show compassion to, and you need, but they're porcupine people. You know that when you get close to them, you're going to get poked and it's going to hurt and they're going to try to hurt you and everything else. You can still hug them. You just have to be prepared when you hug them. Okay? 
You just have to be prepared for those people. And if you have never encountered those people, you will one day. Okay? And there are people that I love, but they are porcupine people, so I go in there just covered in, covered in Kevlar, knowing that they are going to be very difficult to try to be nice to. And I want to tell you, but what happens is you have an obligation as a believer to love. Why? Because God loved you. And you didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it, but God still loved you first. What you see in the life of the Samaritan is he decided to love first. Second idea that you see with this Samaritan is this, that it was demonstrated by his actions. You can say whatever you want to say. But one of the things I love about rural culture is this. Words are cheap. That's why, obviously, politicians don't stand a chance when they come and do their little meetings in rural areas. Okay? Because we know it's, it's, it's a dog and pony show. You're telling us what you want to tell us, so you vote for you. But we're kind of proof in the pudding, people. Um, we want to see it. Come in here and tell me what you've done. Show me your track record. You want me to vote for you? Show me your track record. We, 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 the rule, you know, there's just not a lot of fluff. It's, by the way, it's why in rural areas things are slow to change. You know why? We don't just embrace something every time it comes down the pike. We want it proven over time before we go and embrace it. That's one of the things I love about That's why, you know, people are like, well, you know, Pastor, you know, you guys could do all these cool things with your church, and you could do this, and you could do this, and you could do that. No, give it time. I've been in ministry long enough to watch the cycles play out, you know. I watch how, you know, church goes this direction, and then that burns out, and they go this direction, and they go that direction. They go, and then I've looked at things that kind of stand the test of time, and it's kind of like, you know what? It's, uh, why? Actions speak louder than words. You can say what you want to say about loving somebody, but here's my question. What are you doing? Um, guys, again, I tend to be harder on the guys than I do the gals, but because I'm a guy, so um, you say you love your wife. What have you done? What have you done? Seriously, what have you done? You know, oh, you know, I when we got married. I put a ring on her finger and told her I loved her. That that ought to be enough for her. You know, no. What have you done? Well, she knows it. No. What have you done? How have you shown in your actions that you love her? What does this guy do? At great cost to himself. Yeah, don't, don't. Matt's a good guy. Be nice to him. You know? Good night. You'll get up and move somewhere else and sit, you know? Be nice to the guy. You got it good. You know you got it good. Uh, Yeah, he just bought you a new four-wheeler. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, seriously, you know, when we, we've got to get to that point, folks, where there's some action behind what we say. And that is so important because you can say, what does this guy do? He actually gets off of his donkey or he takes his donkey. He kneels down. He uses oil, which would have been expensive for him to use wine. He takes two days worth of salary 
pays for the guy. He doesn't even know this person. Now, here's the crazy thing. You want to know what's really crazy about this story? In this world, in the mind of the Jewish people and the Pharisees and things like that, they actually could have, could have written this story off. You know why? Because in that culture, there was a belief that the only reason you would help somebody like that is if you were responsible for their condition. There's actually a mindset that said the reason he helped this guy is because one of his friends had robbed him. And he wants to know something even crazier. If he was a Jew, technically the oil and the wine that he used to take care of him would have had to have been consecrated at the temple or at the synagogue. Otherwise, so in other words, it's this issue of the priest who may have had oil with him didn't want to use his consecrated special oil on somebody he didn't know. And the Samaritan, who probably didn't even have a consecration ceremony thing because he didn't care about any of that stuff, decided to use it because here's somebody that needed help. And the Samaritan, with his actions, that's why Jesus said, who is it? Who showed love? Who showed mercy? And this guy has to go, well, the Samaritan. I mean, a great personal sacrifice. And by the way, understand, this was messy. This was messy. He had to get clean claws, either from his own, whatever's on the donkey, or take off part of his cloth, coat and rip it and bind him up and put oil on it and clean off the, the whether he'd been beaten or stabbed or whatever else, clean up all of the blood and the gunk and, and the dirt and everything else that would have gotten it. This was a messy job. And here's what you'll need to know, you need to learn then. If you think when you can show love to somebody it's not messy, sometimes it's really messy. Because here's what I've learned. When you get involved in people's lives, it's messy. It's messy. But you know what? If you genuinely love, you look past all of that. That's why Scripture says, putting pieces together, love covers a multitude of sin. That's why somebody can come up to me and, and be mean or harsh or whatever else to me, and I can look past it. Why? Love. Love. Oh, well, you know what? I'll just pray for them more because I know they're having a really tough time. Love, that, that's what we're talking about here. But love has an action towards it. It's, it's active. And what I would say is, you can say all you want about love, but what are you doing? What are you doing? One of the things that's interesting is I see three attitudes towards this guy that I think help us. One of the attitudes is the guy who robs him. You know what the guy who robs him says? What you have is mine. And I'm going to take it. That's the attitude of the thief. The one who robs him. The one who beats him up. You have the Pharisee and the Levite who come by. And you know what their attitude is? What I have is mine. I'm not going to use it on you. I'm too busy for this. I don't have time for this. You know what? I've just come from the temple. I don't want to get, my, I don't want to get all dirty and messy. You know what the attitude of the Samaritan is? What I have is yours. My oil, I'll use it for you. My, the wine to clean you up, my money, I'll use it in order to help you. What I have is yours. I'm going to use my resources to help you. 
And that brings me to my third thing. One of the things that I see in this story is that because he shows love and because he shows mercy and because he is kind, there are eternal benefits to what the Samaritan has done. You don't see the whole story played out here. But if you'll think about it for a minute, think of all the people that were impacted. The Samaritan was impacted because he got to help somebody. The innkeeper, whoever he drops this guy off with, is impacted because he's seen an honest Samaritan over all the pious priests and everybody else who talk about it all but don't do anything. And then if this guy has family, because here's the bottom line, had the Samaritan walked by, the guy probably would have died. Between the heat, the road, the difficulty, everything else, he would have just been a carcass on the side of the road when it was all said and done. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. But because he fixes them all up, we assume he goes back to his family, he goes back to his community, he goes back to society, he goes back to doing and being part of... And again, he had to do, he, there had to be something about him that made them rob him. So he had to either clothes or money or something that, that, that was a level of success that said, I want what you have. And we get the idea that he goes back to that. In other words, here's the principle. What are you doing that's going to outlive you? What is it that's going to have an eternal value to what you're doing when you're helping somebody else? Or are you like the the priest and the Levite, it's all about you? You don't have time for that stuff. One of the things that I've learned is that when you invest in people, people are eternal. So there is something far beyond what is happening in your world that you don't see God doing. You know, I'm here today because of a music teacher and a youth pastor and a history teacher and a speech teacher who invested in my life. You're a benefit of names that you don't know, that people you've never met. You get to benefit from that because those people showed love and invested in my life. And that plays out. So anybody that I get to have an influence in or an impact in, that plays out and it reverberates all the way down the line. Uh, Read the story of, uh, was it Moody? Um, And you look at all the people he reached. You know what it started with? A Sunday school teacher. Who landed the Lord? Why? Invested in something that was eternal in nature. And I want to challenge you to look at your life. I want to challenge you to look at your resources and ask yourself, am I trying to get, am I trying to take stuff from other people? I'm like the thief. Am I trying, am I like the priest or the Levite who what I have is mine and I'm not going to share with anybody? Or am I like the Samaritan where I say, you know what? What I have, if I can use it for the glory of God, if I can use my talents, my gifts, my whatever, for the glory of God, then I'm going to do that. And then when I'm gone, the stuff that I've invested my life in is going to play out over and over and over again for all of eternity. You know, uh, well, you know it's easy for you. You're a pastor. It's easy for you because God's put you in a world 
where there are people you can help that in all honesty, I can't. Because the second I find out I'm a pastor, they throw me into this category and they want nothing to do with me. You know, there's another group of people, they find out your pastor, they go, oh, i got a couple theological questions for you. Oh, you know, can we talk glass? You know, can we talk cryptocurrency? You know, can we talk something else? You know, because then it's like, oh, let's play stump the pastor. Um, but you know what? They'll listen to you. And you have an opportunity to show them the love of Christ. With the resources, the opportunities, the gifts, the things that God has given you. I want to challenge you this week. It's easy to be the priest and the Levite in the story. It's easy to keep going and doing your thing because you don't have time to get messy. But that's not what we're called to do. Jesus ends this parable by saying this, go and do likewise. Be like the Samaritan. So I close this morning with this. Jesus uses the parable of the Good Samaritan to remind us that a loving God is about actions, not just words. Showing love and mercy is a way we demonstrate our love for God and for other people. Getting involved in the life of others is messy. And it will come at a cost to you. But we are to use the resources God gives us to bring glory to him and to serve any of those that God puts in our path. Go and do that this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, sometimes it's easy to read the stories, to hear them and go our way. But Lord, it's kind of what the, Pharise- kind of what the priest and the Levite did. Lord, help us to actively love, encourage, help, minister to people that you put in our path this week. Lord, in those times that we're too busy, in those times that we want to move on to something else, in those times that we want to walk by, tug in our heart, help us to see the opportunity you've put in front of us and use us so that when it's all said and done, Lord, people may see Christ in us and ultimately have Christ in their own life. These things we ask in your name. Amen.